John Carpenter comes here every time I come over to you guys. The last two times I've been to America, John Carpenter's been here. Well, that's the restraining order. That's not your fault. I wouldn't blame him at all. All the love letters. I get it. Welcome back to the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And I'm John. You can find me over at Moonlight Mad Reviews on Instagram and over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Moonlight Madness Radio. So if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that uh, here at the Hauntsville Cryptcast, along with Moonlight Madness Radio, we run the Scared for Your Life Horror Film Expo every year for the last, what is this, our third year? Third year? Mm -hmm. For our third year. And every year we take a bunch of incredible short horror film submissions from independent filmmakers from around the world. And we have the pleasure of going through them, reviewing them, uh, giving feedback to some of the creators and hosting some of these creators at a festival and showing their films, sometimes for the first time, to a brand new audience. So we wanted to take a moment to talk about the importance of short filmmaking. In the filmmaking community, there is a lot of controversy between whether or not it's worthwhile to make a short film short films can cost you know from a couple hundred dollars up to tens of thousands of dollars depending on what your budget is and depending on what you're trying to make happen it can be a lot of sunk cost so there's a lot of this idea that it's not important to make a short film there's no reason to why make a short when you can make a feature or try and sell the concept to somebody else it surprised you to find out how many of the big blockbuster horror films and just films in general that we've come to know and love started out as short films. I think it's been incredible to see just kind of going through the lists, how a lot of them can start out as these passion projects. And it's just about pushing through and creating the concept. And sometimes it's literally to just display that, hey, you don't need an enormous budget in order to get this done as long as you've got your idea and everyone is focused in on that same direction as you, you can make this happen, and then it can grow into something larger. I mean, that's why we kind of have our award for the most done with the least budget, because we usually have one of the best films in the festival in that category, and it's all about what you make out of the budget that you've got. And if you can't afford a feature length, then just making one on a budget, someone's going to pick up that concept and think, well, I'll fund this to make it what you actually want it to be. That's always the hope. But yeah, uh, yeah. and as you are saying, we have our Blue Skeleton Award, which even just to its core, we created because of Houses October Built, their mm-hmm. featuring of the Blue Skeleton. Houses October Built started as a documentary, turned into the first Houses October Built movie, and went on to become you know, Houses October Built 2, and I think they're making another film now, but not in the Houses October Built universe. It's, as John was saying, it's proof of concept. It's not necessarily, you know, you're guaranteed you're going to get picked up, but your idea is out there in some condensed form or another, and it's there for people to see. It's there for you to say, yeah, this is my idea. And I mean, we come across this all the time in entertainment, where ideas are just so close to one another Sometimes you need to be able to defend yourself, and having that proof of concept under your belt is really important. Showcasing that I did it, I did it first. Had we been having this conversation in a pre-internet age, maybe I wouldn't put as much emphasis on short films, 
But with the amount of visibility that you can get on some of these platforms like YouTube and TikTok, there's no reason not to be putting your concepts out there to get people's attention. You never know who's going to see it, especially on an app like TikTok, where you don't know where your video is going to end up because it's totally randomized and through the algorithm. But they just announced doing three minute videos. And I'm starting to see more conceptual horror pieces coming up. You wouldn't think to say, oh, TikTok is a great platform for short horror films. But despite whatever else is on there, you can have your opinions about it. But I think we've discussed before, you should just take whatever you have, take whatever medium you have, and just move forward with your concept. It, it should always be concept first. If you're filming something solely on your cell phone for TikTok, if it's interesting and the concept is solid and it's there, it's going to draw people in. And you're right, that, that amount of visibility and reach that we have nowadays to be able to get that product in front of so many people's eyes and it gains that support. And I know that we've had a lot of times in the festival films where by the time it's done, we go, holy crap, we want more. We, I, I wish we had more of this. I know that there's some that we watch where it's like the story is just so gripping and intriguing that it leaves you wanting more. And that's exactly what you want. We've also had a lot of films in the festival where we've said if we had the budget, we would throw all of our money at this person and tell them, go and make a feature length, go and make a series out of this. Um, and that's like the dream for me personally is like winning the lottery and then just turning the whole of Scared for Your Life into a whole big funding project. Be like, yes, I'm going to throw some money at you, make this happen. It's like that year that we had Zool and we were like, we need oh. a series. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Always going back to Zool. That was our uh, first year festival winner. Yeah, we get all of these films where we're like, we wish we could fund you. And it just takes someone that's not us, who has money, to see it and also have that sentiment of like, this is amazing. I want to make this a feature length. I want to make this a series. Or I just want to throw some money at this director because they've obviously got potential. You say someone who's not us, but... Every filmmaker that we follow that's put up an Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign, we've backed all of those films. Yeah, we know these filmmakers now. We've seen their work. And because we have that proof of concept, it's one more thing drawing us to their Kickstarters and their Indiegogos and these projects where we can say, yeah, like I do have the time and the money to be like, hey, here's what I can offer. I want to see this come to life. You never know, because, I mean, with Mama, for example, the short film was just circulating online. That was through YouTube first, right? Yeah. Yep. But it's short and it's powerful, and there is no way that they could have told Del Toro, of all people, was going to just sit and watch that and go, hang on, I want to make this, and ended up contacting them and producing it for them into a feature length that, that did really well. So you never know, like, if you put something online or you put something in a festival, there could be fucking Del Toro watching going hey i want to make that and i think that's like the most amazing thing in the world to think that you can just put something like that out there and beyond even that mama specifically has a huge impact on american horror cinema uh in general because of when it was released it was trying to compete with paranormal activity 4 which is kind of a bunk movie and so they didn't want to release it at the same time because like oh here's this movie, everybody's going to go see Paranormal Activity. Who's going to see our movie? Let's push our release back to January. And so it came out in January instead of October, did super well. And 
other production companies started to see like oh we can start putting out horror movies fucking whenever and people will still go to see them and from that was in like 2012 i think and from then on we were just talking about before like three horror movies came out within the last few weeks and we're in the middle of summer this is like the the supposed off season for that shit and now we get year-round horror like every couple months there's there's something there's a release schedule for the foreseeable future and that rocks all because of you know movies like mama so who knows like if they they didn't release that short film if del toro didn't see it if he didn't produce it if paranormal activity 4 didn't come out in october of that year who knows what would have happened but even to your point doza with year-round horror everything you're talking about is coming to theaters in theaters these are all the big blockbuster budget horror movies coming out but now we have all of these streaming platforms and even more on the way we've got our hulu amazon netflix shutter most specifically shutter we can watch horror whenever we want and there is always new stuff coming out even when we were just talking to uh steve kostansky the writer and director of psycho gorman psycho gorman came out in march did we watch it in march on amazon but yeah, we watched Psycho Gorman back in March, and that's certainly not when you're thinking like, okay, I need a new horror film, but we have these streaming platforms that are always pushing new content. And because there's this sort of war between the streaming platforms, they're all looking to buy up new concepts to develop and turn into something new. Not to go back to the whole TikTok thing, but TikTok started as 30-second videos. And now they just created a series from like some of their top content creators called Panic that's on Amazon. Just because the concept is out there, they're able to get this reach, they're able to get this exposure. And companies like Amazon and Shudder and Netflix, they'll actively pick up independent horror films. You can submit your short films to Amazon, they'll put them on there. It's like self-publishing. For Amazon, I think. As long as you've got it, you can put it up there, put a price tag on it, and if people rent it, you get a cut. I think going back to uh, Anna's point as well about not knowing who's going to see that film, who's going to help you get that exposure. Another really great example of that was Neil Blomkamp's film Alive in Joburg, which eventually became District 9. District (laughs) 9. So the way that happened, Peter Jackson was supposed to be producing a live adaptation of Halo. And you can see kind of, you know, if you've, if you've seen District 9, if you've seen Chappie, you can see kind of how those visual elements and Blomkamp's style really ties into that pretty well. When Halo kind of dropped off and that was no longer uh, happening, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give you this money. I've seen Alive in Joburg, which is a, a fantastic South African movie, uh, really at its core about apartheid but now it's with aliens earmuffs anthony um (laughs) i like district nine uh probably because they're prawns and not humanoid aliens so it's such a great movie visually and you had that on that smaller budget and i think neil blomkamp has put out some of the most visually stunning shorts that are out there so when district nine came out when chappie came out it's it's amazing to see what can happen when you have the backing and like i said before just having your vision and sticking to it and really just pushing through peter jackson's a pretty good jumping off point for this 
not only for his own filmography, which again, short films under his belt, we've got a lot of weird there to evolve into these cinematic masterpieces that have eventually come out. Didn't he also contribute to what we do in Shadows back when it was a short film? I think so. I don't know a lot about that, but I remember him being really excited about it. And I think he threw some funding in the way. But I don't know if he was involved in, in any other capacity. I think he was a, a producer. I think he threw some funding and support behind them mm-hmm. from the transition between What We Do in Shadows, the short film, into What We Do in Shadows, the feature film, which obviously in the last couple of years has become one of the biggest horror television shows that's ever happened. But that's been nearly 12-year journey, right? And even if it takes that long as the content's coming out and it's going and morphing from the short film to the feature length to a series, it's now 10 or 12 years of that content morphing into and reaching different people. I mean, it kind of comes down to why we started doing Scared for Your Life in the first place. When we were working with the Long Island Film and Television Foundation, on the Long Island International Film Expo. That's like a 25-year-old, five-day-long festival of films from around the world. But again, 25 years backing it, we started doing Scared for Your Life as a way to keep the Long Island International Film Expo in people's minds. So creating short content and creating it consistently or consistently working on it or bringing it up in a new light or even just resubmitting to festivals, keeping it circulating, keeps that concept in people's minds. It keeps drawing new attention to it. You know, maybe it didn't work out as well the first time you circulate it, but then you re-edit or you just hold off until you've got a better environment or a better festival. And I just want to go back to John, you had mentioned, you know, even just shooting on your cell phone is since 2010 or 2011, at least that's when I first started hearing about it. There have been entire festivals that have opened up to cell phone cinema. You can just shoot a movie on your cell phone and be in competition with other movies on cell phones. We've seen blockbuster films take certain scenes from cell phones and just showcase whatever the newest technology can do, but there's an entire market for it. There's a market for cell phone cinema. That's a great point. I think one of the one of the big ones kind of that's horror adjacent, I guess, is Unsane, filmed fully on iPhones. Yes, they had adaptations to it to prevent overheating, and you had... It wasn't one cell phone, but it. I think now that um, it, it kind of took us back to when what I think of like 28 Days Later, when 28 Days Later first came out and it had that digital video look and feel and everything felt so cold and compressed. It's kind of taking us back to that because film is so beautiful and rich and warm and grainy. And then we can have that contrast there with the cell phone footage and cell phone cinema. Again, it's yeah, it's it's just use what you have. Use what you have. As long as all the other pieces are there, just get your idea out there. Because who knows, someone may see your cell phone <laughs> produced TikTok and then go, that's fantastic. Here's some money. Make, you know, make a short as proof of concept that you can do this on a on a, a, a larger scale. Think of films like Saw and Rare Exports, which obviously needed a lot of money to <laughs> fully realize those concepts. The budget for Saw still blows my mind to this <laughs> yeah. day because it's a single warehouse with some dim light. I love it. It's fantastic. The car chases. They're just in the car. <laughs> but it works. But it works because they're using that visual language that we're all 
accustomed to, and they're making it work. They're making the budget work for them rather than being slaves to the budget. And that's, that's, you know, another point to it. Exactly. And they knew that they weren't going, with both of those films, they realized that they weren't going to be able to afford to make this huge vision happen. So they'd made these shorts so that they could just take it around and pitch it so that people got their concept in just a short space of time. I mean, you, you can't do something like rare exports with like thousands of decrepit Santas <laughs> running around in the middle of the Arctic. Well, they got nothing going on like 11 months out of the year. <laughs> it's such a genius film. But like now, but then anyway, both those films eventually got picked up and obviously are huge movies that we know now. I assume everyone in the world knows about rare exports because they should. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen so. it. I haven't oh, seen it. It's the best it's Christmas confession. movie. <laughs> Save it for Christmas. Don't spoil yeah. the holidays okay. yeah. for yourself. <laughs> but Saw, yeah, Saw kind of revitalized horror. We we were in a bit of a slump when the first Saw movie came out. We were coming off of that like early 2000s gothica fear.com kind of wave. Saw came back and, you know, granted it created the quote-unquote torture porn genre it, it gave us something new and exciting and raised the stakes. And I don't think, especially because we've seen how the Saw franchise evolved, we got to see this from short film to spiral. And we've seen what a budget does to this kind of movie. Because they had nothing to work with in the short film, the proof of concept was most of this takes place in a single room with two men who are trapped with their mortality and trying to figure out What's going to happen to them? You make it work. And then the first movie was that on a grander scale. And that was thrilling. It was enjoying to sit through and watch and see what decisions these guys were going to make. And then, you know, Saw is a fantastic trilogy. I love seeing what happens (laughs) to John as his uh, cancer progresses. And then once it started to become this record-breaking blockbuster franchise... Four and onward was just how big, how gross, how much money can we put into these traps? And, you know, can we get somebody from a famous band to be in this movie? But this is a really good example of the difference a budget can make. Because the first three films were great and they focused on the concept rather than like, oh, what can we do with all this budget that we've suddenly got? They were like, oh, this is what we want to do, and this is the budget we've got, so let's make this happen and still get the concept across. And then once they started focusing on, well, we have all this big budget, what are these really big things that we can do, and we'll tie that into the story afterwards, that's when it started going really shit. So that just proves how important a concept is over your budget. Yeah, I think films like um, Lights Out and Polaroid fell into the same kind of thing. Lights Out, I remember the first time I watched that short. Fantastic. It's so short and sweet, and it just works so well. And I remember when it was announced that it was being turned into a feature, I was both excited and, you know, and and not. Because I was just thinking right away, oh, they're going to take this budget, and how do we stretch this concept out over, you know, a a 90-minute runtime, uh, or 90 minutes plus, whatever it is. And I, I feel like they just, the short far outdoes the feature itself. It's that question of, okay, how do we now take this and make it grander? And now that we've got the budget, what all can we do with it? Polaroid 
similarly, that's uh, Lars Klevberg's film. So it was a Norwegian short film. The opening of the movie Polaroid is a pretty fair uh, uh, recreation of the short where it's just a Polaroid camera. It's these two friends hanging out. The one girl wants to take some spicy photos for her boyfriend and figures, let me go old school. And it turns out that this Polaroid camera is cursed. Great concept. Where they go with it in the feature after that is okay, but I would have loved something to kind of build on that original short more closely rather than just the opening four or five minutes. And I think, again, that comes back to having too big of a budget and not knowing what to do with it and going, okay, yeah, let's split this guy in half with a Polaroid and just kind of losing sight of it and going, okay, you know, let's, let's, the studio starts to stick their fingers in there and start stirring the pot and saying, well, we'd like to see this instead. Why don't you try this? So again, it's kind of, you gotta, you gotta stick to your guns. And I, I can see how it's easy to, as a filmmaker now getting your first shot to go, oh, okay. Yeah. No, let's, let's, let's try that. I'm, I'm open to, to this because you're getting your first big budget. That's the dream, right? But again, it's about keeping your boots in the ground and like, no, this is what it is. Yeah. It's hard to say no when, when they're just like, here is everything you need to do whatever you want. Here's exactly what you asked us for. Now, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> that That's why there's like a stark difference between Polaroid and Lights Out and some of the other stuff. Because like as shorts, like I, I thought they were very, very well done and fully contained. Like for me with Lights Out, I didn't need more. I was like, cool. It's either a ghost story. It's a monster story. Whatever the fuck that is. That was great. I was scared. And the the best part of the feature is when they do the bits from the the short film and i find myself just being like ha and then for another like you know hour beyond that i'm just watching them sort of just like stretch what little was there to begin with because like how do you build on something that's done yeah (laughs) yeah you gave us your beginning your middle and your end and now you're just giving us the the light version of that yeah exactly no sugar (laughs) (laughs) we hate that taste here (laughs) for sure and like we we talk about all like a lot of these like that are that are shorts that aren't long enough because they have uh, a world and a universe beyond that that we would like to see more of either those characters or the the world that they're living in and like that's awesome but when you get your your grubby little fingers on something uh and then you just have hundreds of thousands of dollars and then don't have anywhere to put it other than like let's just keep adding to it and they never put that's it in practical ca- effects that's where you yes. should put it. If you have leftover <laughs> budget, put it into practical effects. Yeah. Like, you are they trying to, like, save that. money yeah. by doing it, like, digitally? And they're like, all right, we saved all this money here. To make it look so more So we can shit. do... And then, and then, then what? Yeah. So we can monster. hire the lead singer from Imagine Dragons and have him in the <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> and then have him chased by the ghost. It's really weird that this is, like, a common thing that when a short becomes a feature, they put the budget toward putting a musician in the movie <laughs> yeah. because they don't know what else to do <laughs> i mean They're i like, would have loved what's... a horror movie with chris cornell in it or something like that yeah but he <laughs> oh he probably God. wouldn't have charged much he'd be like yeah dude i'll do it like yeah. <laughs> you know the coolest musicians would probably be like well what am i doing in it and then you show them their concept and they're like dude i'll do that for free that's cool like, it's fine mm-hmm. i mean alice cooper come yeah. on yeah <laughs> alice cooper will do <laughs> anything, us all an education honestly <laughs> but i think there's something to be said about <laughs> i just had that same reaction to <laughs> Yeah, I was like, who is purring? I didn't realize you were holding the cat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. But as much as I tend to focus on horror movies that are 
slow burns lingering and create that sense of dread that's my favorite thing something that just builds into this impending sense of fear there's something to be said about short films that are completely concise do not need anything more than their you know three to 15 minute runtime but leave this lasting impact on you where you don't want to turn the lights out. You don't want to go to sleep. You don't want to look under your bed. I think the other thing with that is they're, they're usually creature-based for the most part. We had in the festival Ghost Radio in our first year. Oh, my God. So that good. movie was two minutes. Yeah. Scared all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the lowest budget. Had the lowest it, budget. $16? <laughs> it was something like that. Single room, two actors... But they built this suspense. It was a slow burn, quick resolution, and it didn't need anything more than that. It would be very hard to turn something like that into a 90-minute film and still keep that same impact. But these short, concise films that grab your attention, that leave these lasting impacts, they showcase what these filmmakers are capable of. They show you what they can do on these minimal budgets, what they can dredge out of an actor, what they can create out of an atmosphere, what sort of people they like to work with to create these images and these sounds. And I think that's where these studios need to stop saying we want the concept and start saying we want the creator. We want you on board. We know you're a first-time filmmaker, but instead of passing this off as another James Wan movie, we want you to helm it, and we want you to give us what else you're capable of. We want to see what your catalog consists of. Because all of these filmmakers, they have tons and tons of great ideas. And if they don't at the time, with that kind of incentive, you bet your ass they're going to come up with something. And if they're capable of scaring you in two minutes or creating this incredible world and atmosphere in two minutes, then they can definitely take the time to stretch out a worthwhile feature film that doesn't infringe on their initial concept that got your attention. Really good example of that is Bedfellows. That's a short that I I can't, I didn't have notes for it. I can't remember the director's name, but that is one hell of a scary short. And it works. Atmospherically, storytelling wise, it's concise, it's contained, and it's fantastic. And I think it's practical effects at the end. So that's another I think so, yeah. uh, uh, box that gets checked off. And it's actually based off of that kind of phenomenon that came up of creepy pastas and two sentence horror stories where it's, you know, hey, don't turn around. I'm not in bed or whatever the, the story was. And we yeah. see what's actually laying there next to our protagonist. And I think that the studios got so excited by that concept that, again, their grumpy little fingers start picking in and saying, how can we turn other two-minute horror stories into larger things? Which, Doza, I think you did a deep dive on that this week, didn't you? You know, that's the thing. I tried to do the deep dive, but I was in the kiddie pool. So I was just kind of <laughs> splashing around up to my ankles in quality. I watched the the entirety of the series of two-sentence horror stories as it stands currently on Netflix. I am so sorry and for your loss. I <laughs> Of time. We, we, <laughs> we are... We're children of the of the internet. I spent a lot of my teenage years on 4chan and like the paranormal board where like this stuff like started like the something awful forums and like that is where my bread and butter. I love a good creepy pasta and I love like the original two sentence horrors and they took some of like the more famous ones and they tried to twist them into just like 20 minute episodes and it just there's not enough content there because they are already self-contained in their 
horror stories they are a a story and it's just sort of like they do episodes based on what the story could have been about and none of them are good none of them are scary and they all end with somebody sort of staring off and then turn and look into the camera every single episode ends exactly like that as if to be like horror (laughs) and i was like no (laughs) i do want to give credit to one i watched the first season i haven't seen the second one yet but the the japanese film about the father in his suit his father revisiting him with that suit i thought that was pretty good that one stood out but out of what how many episodes in that first season 10 there's eight in the first season and 10 in the second yeah (laughs) <laughs> Anna and I tried when it first hit Netflix and mm-hmm. we we watched the whole first season and both of our biggest issue with this series is for a series that is uh, first of all it definitely an issue that it kind of bastardizes these great two sentence horror things by making them so long and so boring and so pointless but not only are they long boring and pointless every single one of them has some element of either sexual assault or violence against women. Yeah. I've never met so many ghosts who are also (laughs) rapists. Yeah. Yes. A lot of this, like, in... This has, like, all the makings of, like, what could be a a, a good show because it's got a a largely POC cast, very, very (laughs) diverse top to bottom along the the LGBT spectrum. I think that's also because it's Canadian-produced. Truly, so much of it is the wrong kind of horror where they go for shock factor of like, these are things that make people uncomfortable. These are, you know, quote unquote taboo subjects. And it's not that aspect is what what makes them scary. Like, I just, you watch these and I'm just like, didn't need to see this. This does not need to exist. Like, these are real issues and they're being showcased here for entertainment purposes. That is not for for me the the way to go about it because horror is far beyond just the concept of things that make people uncomfortable and throwing triggers at people there's one episode in the second season about a trans boy who is experiencing bullying and i don't know who that episode is for he gets like a magic flute from a spooky janitor and it allows him to get revenge on all of his bullies but, like, I don't know if that's to, to show, like, hey, trans people experience these scenarios and this is, like, showing the, the general public how they're going about, you know, being a trans teen. Or if it's for trans people to see it and go, like, you know, I'll, I'll be okay because it ends, uh, it has a happy ending and they find, like, their sort of, like, queer community of friends at the end. And it just felt very like ham handed not to go too far into this but i don't think that's good representation you want to have a a story about a trans person don't make it about them being trans does that make sense yeah 100 yeah yeah we don't need to representation is not a display of trauma yeah yeah it shouldn't be we shouldn't be using someone's trauma and then going oh but that's representation there was big discussions in the community about the show them recently where okay we understand and and you are doing a great job of of showing what it's like for people of color especially back in the 1950s but when is it just poking 
at, at someone and poking at a raw wound, especially yeah. now. Especially it's now. It's like exploitive at that point. Exactly. And is that really what we need? Because no, it's not. Because now you're just taking someone's trauma and you are trying to conceptualize it and say, well, look, this is what they go through. Like, no, you're not reaching the audiences that you think you are <laughs> by by making light of, of that type of trauma just being an edgelord going well look what i was able to kind of make yeah, that's, you know, your skin that's absolutely what it feels like i don't i do not care for the show for so many many reasons and it the best part of it for me is uh, at the beginning when it shows you the first half of the two sentences and then at the end when it shows the two sentences together <laughs> and so i get right back to where i was you know 15 years ago where i'm like I wish I had just read the two sentences. <laughs> Save yourself an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I So eight episodes at 20 minutes each and then 10 episodes at 20 minutes each. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I had a bad day yesterday. <laughs> Staying on the subject of, like, not using trauma. I mean, women have been dealing with this in the horror community for, like, such a long time now. You have, like, Last House on the Left and this fucking culture of revenge films and if you make a film about sexual assault and you submit it to our festival then you're not gonna get in um, yeah, don't expect <laughs> to see it on yeah, our screen um, <laughs> again it goes also- back to that you're not delivering the message that you think you're delivering no i will send you a personal reply if you ever try that but also <laughs> that's a good way to get contact back from us yeah <laughs> But that brings me to the strange thing about the Johnsons, which is uh, a short Ari Aster film that he did before Hereditary Midsummer. And obviously he likes making people feel uncomfortable, and he has a really good way of doing that with atmosphere now. It, it's it's well-directed, his short, but my god, the content is the most uncomfortable thing ever. And it's obviously, you can tell by the approach that he uses to it, he's just trying to shock people and make them feel uncomfortable rather than... Although I did read one review that was like, oh, it's really funny. And I was like, it's about sexual assault, you fucking dickhead. Funny. So... Well, I haven't seen it. Like, what happens? It's about... Um, yeah, you guys aren't going to watch it. going to want to watch it, to be honest. I'm saving you. I'm not going to um, now. <laughs> so it's about a family where basically like it opens up on this boy like jerking off in his bedroom and you don't see like the piece of paper that he's holding that he's jerking off to but then his dad like accidentally walks in and he's like oh it's all right son like it's a normal thing like gives him the whole dad talk and then when the dad walks out of the room he holds up the piece of paper and it's a picture of his dad and the whole film is about like the father and son like growing up and the son sexually abusing his dad it's like basically just about like the mental decline of his dad and his son sexually assaulting him throughout their life. Then the wife finding out but not wanting to say anything. So she just like turns up the TV when she hears stuff happening and him getting attacked and stuff. It's like meant to be the reverse of, I guess, child abuse growing up. But it's just the approach is just kind of horrific because they don't, they always make light of it. And you can tell it's just trying to, it's almost trying to entertain people rather than actually make any sort of point or bring any empathy towards the situation or anything like that. It's just like, oh, well, I made this messed up film. So yeah, that's just the wrong approach. And to be honest, if I'd seen that short before I'd ever seen Hereditary, I'm not going to say Midsummer because I don't like Midsummer. but if I had seen that short beforehand, though, I'd be like, I'm never going to watch anything from this director. 
So that's also a good point of people will avoid you if you make a short about something that's that horrible and triggering as your first exposure to the world. People are going to go, well, I don't want to watch anything else like about like from that person because they just made me feel really shit. I wouldn't necessarily that's a, a good example of people will avoid you if you make something featuring this content, because if I'm not mistaken, that was his film school senior thesis film, right? Yeah. And that's the film that got him the recognition enough to make Hereditary. I mean, it is directed so he... beautifully. That's the that that's the thing. Like, so I get that people invested in him as a director from that. Right. That so it's more of a good example of somebody saying, like, "Hey, we see what you can do as a director, as a creator. We don't want this concept, but we want what else you can give us." Right. I think I think that's a good example of that because he was recognized for his skill and his atmospheric ability and his direction. And that's what led to us having such an incredible film as Hereditary. So yeah, blessing and curse. It sucks that the content is what it is, but it's great that we got Hereditary. And as much as I also don't like Midsummer, I think Midsummer. What I'm seeing from a lot of people who do enjoy it is it is a good praise of somebody getting better than the life they were given. And I think that kind of handles those ideas better than something like his short film. It's the the good for her cinematic universe. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they took him and put him in a corner and said, listen, you saw what you did. <laughs> we we love how it was shot, but don't you ever don't don't ever do that again. And every time he tries to crawl back over the Ari, Ari, no, <laughs> no, get the spray bottle. But I feel like, I feel like if he would have had his way, then Midsummer would have been more about revenge. And I think that's also a really important, important point. There is no revenge. Revenge isn't what we should be teaching people they want. So it's not teaching people the right way to handle their trauma. There is I know that... you're all about revenge, but. Because there, there's a satisfaction to it, especially in horror. You sure, see these characters. Sure, satisfaction. It doesn't help. It doesn't heal you. It doesn't help. It does, right, but that is the depravity of humanity, which a lot of these horror movies delve into. You're never the same after your revenge. And in fact, most of these characters go on to become antagonists rather than protagonists. And one of my favorite things when it comes to the short film universe is Crypt TV. They're doing a fantastic job supporting independent filmmakers, bringing short films to light, giving them a platform. You can go right on their website and submit a concept today and potentially do something with Crypt TV. They have a short film on there. I think it's become a short series because the concept is strong, but it doesn't necessarily need to carry with it the same story and the same characters over and over. But they have a story on there called The Birch. It's about a young boy who is bullied, and he he confides in his mm-hmm. grandmother about what's happening to him, and she gives him this little totem. It's a couple sticks tied together, and it's just like, you'll be protected. I think the grandmother dies, and then he gets bullied in the woods, and the bully breaks the totem, and this creature made entirely of birch, who is phenomenally designed oh i've seen that so good the creature hang on um yeah please continue so the birch comes back as this sort of revenge mother and he is then taken care of and that's satisfying to watch this bully be put in his place but our protagonist is then traumatized by the experience you're never the same after the revenge but it's still satisfying 
to see that change. It's partly why I love Willard, which, even though it doesn't stem from a short film, it's from the book The Ratman Notebooks, which is very short, quick read, which is just a total psychological deep dive into somebody who has no one, who has nothing, and befriends these lesser creatures of rats. But all throughout, Willard is abused. He is just looked down down on by everyone, and then through his companionship for these lesser beings, gets this grand revenge. And we know Willard is not a good person for this revenge, but we're happy to see him get it because there are other bad people in the world. And Willard went on to be a 50s movie. It was 50s or 70s. And then we got the Crispin Glover movie, which is where I fell in love with Crispin Glover. And I'm <laughs> dying to work with him. The Birch also has a lot of the, the same DNA as Pumpkinhead. Yes, very much that same commentary as you're never the same after your revenge and the revenge is not what you think it's going to be. You know, you're hoping for some sort of catharsis or some sort of just some sort of healing or closure and revenge is never the way to get it. And it's the, the birch is one of the best illustrations of that again, because it's short, it's concise. It's just short and sweet and to the point. But then they also, Crypt TV has another content creator on there who is doing a series that I love, and I showed it to you when you were out here. It's called the Sunny Family Cult. The whole cult motto is don't be a victim. And it's not necessarily about revenge, but it is this very messed up nature versus nurture being brought up in this cult. Some people deserve to die. And that is the motif that our protagonist takes with her as she's brought up in this cult. And we see time and again, she tries to resist it. She tries to resist how she's being brought up. Uh, she tries to escape the cult. But there are some things where she has to use what she was lear- she was brought up in and what she's learned in order to survive this very cruel world that she's in. And then just to honk Crypt TV's horn one more grand time, Sunny Family Cult brings in the Book of Monsters. I forget what it's called, but it's their Necronomicon that ties all of these creature universes together. Because somebody in the cult has the book, our protagonist ends up with it at the end. And it's just this grand book of monster. They're not all protectors, but a lot of them do have that element to them. The look-see has some moments where it's more benevolent than malevolent, but for the most part, it's, it's an evil creature. But that's another great concept that I can't see being stretched into a feature film following one set of characters but having the look-see as a creature that appears in all these different short stories because of its ability, with these minor threads that tie it all together, is fascinating. I'm here for the episodic, I'm here for the 3 to 15 minutes, because you can tell me a series of character stories without dragging them on for too long. That's where a lot of this stuff really shines, is having a character be the focal point, like a, a creature or an entity being the focal point rather than you know the the cast of human characters and it just enables you to do whatever you want with them and create like their specific universe rather than have it be like oh how are these people going to survive this situation it's about this monster and you find a lot of that with like the the old like slender man where he would just be edited into like any random old picture on the internet and it's his world it's his lore and uh, i know what I'm doing for the rest of the day after this is I'm going to watch the rest of the Crypt TV stuff that I haven't watched because I'm I'm getting hyped. I'm behind as well, but it's very good and they don't skimp on quality. Again, they're taking chances on independent content creators. Uh, I find like 
a lot of these like short horrors that all end the same way with a jump scare of like a monster or a ghost or whatever being in frame and going like a boo <laughs> and like that's that's fine like because if you're if your horror is three minutes and you have two minutes and 55 seconds of like atmosphere and then like one moment of payoff like that's great the ones that fall short are when you, whatever the entity is doesn't look good yeah. like i feel like i wasted like you know three minutes of my life over and over and over again but you find a lot of like really really cool looking monsters in some of these like people that like work hard that have a passion and you know could have a future in in this industry and i've seen some of the best and most original monsters coming out of stuff like crypt tv i live for that shit and steven kostansky who is the monster man just sculpting and making boys all of his short films are just like here's the monster and they're good <laughs> they're good yeah i think the birch just the the design is like so striking i remember the first time i showed michelle that short and she goes all right yeah now i'm not sleeping for the rest of the week <laughs> she doesn't do well with creature design and for whatever reason that one just really st- just stuck in her and she was like i've been thinking about nothing else but that tree monster that you showed me the other day and I hate you for it. It's the Uncanny like, oh, Valley. Great. And that's what makes a great monster is that we mm-hmm. can, with good practical effects, what makes them good is that they blend into the world that we know. They look like this can be totally normal because somebody took the time and effort to make an anatomy that fits in what our minds already see and perceive every day. The birch threat. has uh, less of a human anatomy and more of a tree anatomy. So you see this like, long trunk this slightly humanoid figure coming from it that branches out into just more tree so you could be walking through the woods and you're going to see that spotted black and white birch tree and you're going to think twice i forget where i heard it but i just heard it recently and it has been sticking with me since somebody posed fear as the inability to recognize whether or not something is a threat that's fear not triggers not trauma It's wondering whether or not this thing is a threat. And again, going back to my fear of aliens. E.T., if you change the score to E.T., that movie is horrifying. (laughs) From the moment that E.T. appears in the shed, if you change that score to something like the Exorcist score and E.T., comes out of that foggy shed in the middle of the night you don't know whether or not this creature is a threat just because he's small and dumpy doesn't mean shit <laughs> he's just a little raisin man i, I, I love aliens but to be fair et would freak me out as a child and i was like why does this guy want to be friends with him so no like i get it if i saw something like that in real life none of you would go oh friend you would all go like oh, what absolutely. the fuck is that <laughs> I would call all of you guys immediately. Yeah. I would actually, if we were to reverse engineer a feature length and turn it into a series of shorts, I would love to see Digging Up the Marrow as individual little shorts about each one of the monsters that Ray Wise has on his wall. Have you all watched that yet? I haven't. Yeah, dude. Oh, you have to watch it. Ray Wise, practical effects, Kane Hodder just being Kane Hodder and like an actual person in it <laughs> and not um you know I mean, he's always Fowler playing himself Jason. just a giant yeah. like intimidating guy <laughs> uh, and Ray yeah, Wise the creatures is just that, again. an absolute king oh yeah you can recognize i i remember seeing some tv show where 
This man's face is covered up, and all I can see is his eyes, and I'm like, oh, that's Ray Wise. I know it. <laughs> and as soon as they revealed his face, Michelle's like, how the hell did you, how did you do that? Why can you do that? <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it comes down to give us some really good practical effects. Give us some monsters that are going to be intriguing. Just give us a solid concept. I think it all just circles back to that. Yeah. Oh my god, this is a guide on how to get into our festival. <laughs> Pretty much, <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> We're giving it all away. Yeah, just like, we don't care about your budget, make a good concept, give us a monster if you can, we love that, and make sure that it's practical effects. And shoot it on your yeah, cell phone. Oh my god, you'll win first place, holy <laughs> exactly. shit. I was like, oh man, I'm excited for this fake movie that we made up with no other information. <laughs> This episode of the Hauntsville Cryptcast is brought to you by Reanimated Apparel. Check them out at letsreanimate.rip to pick up some spooky shirts, hoodies, undies, you name it. And save 10% by using our code Hauntsville at checkout. That's letsreanimate.rip or at letsreanimate on Instagram. Now back to the episode. I think the other thing that makes shorts so strong is... Again, if you have a strong concept that lingers with your audience well after, if you've created, not even created, if you've hinted at a world that is that uncanny valley effect where we're so similar to our own and these things can exist in it, or you've created a world that also is just something that sits with your audience, it leaves you with those questions. It leaves you second-guessing yourself, lights out, leaves you second-guessing whether or not something like that is possible. When's the next time you're going to turn out the lights and that thing is just going to be there and you know you're doomed? I'm glad we're recording this during the day. (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like 6 o'clock where you are. Yeah, a short film leaves more questions than answers more often than not. And that's what's going to keep people thinking about your short film, thinking about your concept, thinking about what more could happen if we indulged in this world. Like our first year winning film at the festival, Fresh. There's nothing crazy practical about it, but it's the Uncanny Valley effect where we are watching something where the lore sounds like something we've heard of before, but it's not quite hitting the mark. We can't pin it to one thing or another until the grand reveal at the end. And we know that this is something that takes place in the the common world that we all know and are a part of. There's something slightly off. There's the uncanny effect of something's not right with our protagonist. They they pin it down to something that's almost totally new, where we're constantly wondering, like, okay, if this concept evolved further, if we did have a feature following this character and what she goes through when uncovering this lore, where would we end up? We've only just gotten a hint of pun intended, a taste of what this can give us. That's something where uh, character-driven rather than creature-driven or something, we know that we want more from that character, from their life, from their experience. We know that there's more that that short film can carry into a feature. So yeah, like some of our favorite directors end up being ones that we work with in the festival. Yeah, there's so much talent that flows through that festival. Yeah. It's like astonishing to be able to see what people can come up with. And, you know, it doesn't all have to be this blockbuster uh, style short. You know, we don't have to have robots rolling through a city <laughs> and explosions and uh, these crazy shots to circle around back to the, the films that maybe missed the mark when they became features. I don't know if that's so much the directors themselves 
I, I, I almost felt the yeah. kind of like, you know, it's, it's definitely not the directors. It's just, it's the meddling and it's, it's the studios wanting to now have a say in what's being done. And I think a lot of times I'm, I can only imagine that they feel they can push their weight around on these directors and say, listen, we're giving you this great opportunity. You're, you're going to do what we want. If we're putting this money into this, you know, I want to see a giant spider in the wild, wild west. And I'm going to get it. (laughs) I'm sorry. Are you trying to say that that was a bad choice? (laughs) Because that's a choice. And I live with that. (laughs) But yeah, there's definitely a lot of push from producers. And there's that feeling that if I'm giving you the money, then you're going to do it this way. And it does tend to get muddled there. It's why you see people like, I don't know, just to go back to Kostansky and Astron 6, they do as much as they can with just their core group because there's no meddling involved they get to make the movies that they want to make the void was if i'm not mistaken kickstarted right and so that was just everybody who kickstarted it had a say in whatever the pledges were you know maybe they got their name in the credits as special thanks whatever but they're not being pushed around by a singular heavy pocketed producer who's saying well this is a great idea, but I would love it if you did this instead. They're not changing the vision. I think there's something to be said for working with a group of friends as well, because then there's kind of more of you against the people with the money um, <laughs> <Yeah>. speak up. <laughs> I mean, when with uh, Evil Dead, that started as a short within the woods, and they did that because they didn't have the budget, and so they thought, we'll just make like this little proof of concept packet that we can take around and we'll hopefully get picked up and make it into a film which obviously they did but sam raimi just grabbed four of his friends one of them being bruce campbell which obviously worked out in the end um (laughs) yeah imagine being that lucky to just be like bruce come here for a second (laughs) (laughs) took them out to the woods made the film for one thousand six hundred dollars um and look where they are today evil dead is like one of the greatest franchises in the world can't Um, wait for rise (laughs) <laughs> yeah, four movies, TV series, one on the way. Like, Video games, oh. but like videos, game, the musical, comic books. <laughs> but look what happened when like Sam Raimi is, is amazing, and he's also the sweetest guy in the world. I love him so much. But look what happened when Hollywood were like, "Hey, we're gonna, you're gonna direct this film, but we're gonna make all the choices, and we're gonna make all, we're gonna give you all the money." Look what happened when 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 he directed films that were made in Hollywood. None of his talent shines through in that. It's just Hang his on. name. Are you throwing shade at Spider-Man? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is the only Spider-Man that matters. <laughs> I know, and it's still not exactly a Sam Raimi movie, because he didn't get to do all of the amazing Sam Raimi things that he wanted to. But what are you talking about? Bruce Campbell is there. <laughs> the editing. <laughs> they got the car. The kinetic editing. <laughs> Imagine if he'd just been like, like producers and Hollywood had nothing to do with Spider-Man. Imagine what Sam Raimi would have done with it if he literally had full control. Oh, for sure. It would have That's been very I mean. different and it probably would have been the best movie ever. Yeah, because I mean, when I, when I went to meet Sam Raimi, he was doing um, a signing and I swear to God, he told me and I was there. I was one of the last people to meet him that day. And he'd been there literally the whole day with people lining around the corner. And I was the fifth to last person he met. And so I started talking to him about Evil Dead and I gave him my Evil Dead thing. But he said, you're the first person today that's been here for Evil Dead everyone else bought spider-man stuff and i was like 
that's not nice. Why Why is anyone here for that? And he was so happy about the fact that I was there for Evil Dead because he was like, that's my film. And like, it was a drag me to hell signing as well. So I was like, why are all these people here oh, about what? Spider-Man? Like, <laughs> to yeah, be but- fair, though, that's also the difference between the US and the UK horror scene. You guys have so many fewer outlets for yeah. horror than we do. 100%. You have a quarter of the conventions that we have. So any chance to see Sam Raimi is probably going to be like, yeah. he just happens to have been at this convention that's not horror-centric. Yeah, that's why I haven't met a whole bunch of people in the horror community. Like, I see everyone that I follow in the horror community be like, I've met Bill Mosley this many times, I've met Sid Haig this many times, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I haven't been able to meet them because they haven't been here. Or they have been <laughs> here once. It's like if Rob Zombie came here, I'd be like... He better watch out, because I'm going <laughs> to... I think he thinks that I'm just going to murder him. Um, which, I mean, wouldn't be the Whoa. worst. <laughs> um, I can't believe I would have to fight you to protect Rob Zombie. <laughs> I, would nev- I would never hurt Rob this Zombie. This is Cruella. But I probably would retype my breakup letter that I originally wrote to him, and just like throw it and be like, how dare you? And just have a really big dramatic breakup scene again, so I can feel... Like I finally got my my words out to him because I I doubt he ever read my breakup letter. <laughs> this has been a fucking bonkers three minutes here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the point is doesn't matter what your budget is. Uh, make us a monster. Use really good sound. Sounds very important, which can turn e- yes. ET to something really really horrible. <laughs> Don't use trauma as horror. Oh, animation. Animation is really good to medium to use for horror. I mean, you're going to win points with me entering an animation into our festival. And our last year's winner was an animation, and that was phenomenal. It, there, there's been really creative ways to kind of go around budgetary restraints with animation that we've seen as well. Because you could do whatever you want in animation. Mm-hmm. It's just another medium that makes all of this possible. It Even... Trick or Treat, which is the quintessential Halloween film, started as a short animation. But animation, comic books, Repo the Genetic Opera holds scenes that it can't have filmed for their budget in motion graphic just to make sure that they got their story out, they got their proof of concept out, and it was true to what they wanted, even if they had to make a sacrifice of not filming it and just showing it in that medium. But it's interesting, it's visual, it's aesthetic, it's fun to see something different. It's fun to see these things that are just totally opposite of this uncanny valley effect we've been talking about. It's just this wild world that does not and cannot exist, whether it's budgetary or because you're doing something outside the possibilities of the normal. And even comic book publishing is so inexpensive that's a great way to keep your your shorts your proof of concept yeah kablam or kaboom.com they'll publish not necessarily publish they'll print your comic books in whatever quantity for uh, a little bit more than the price of a standard comic book and obviously that lessens as you make more and more prints of it but you can do it all yourself through mediums like that and you've got your short film your proof of concept right there in your hand and you can take that and turn it into something else down the line i mean how often do we see no i'm not even going to ask you guys how often because that's a dumbass question the only thing in movie theaters right now comic book movies 
everything is comic book movies because Hollywood doesn't want to take a chance on new and original content, which is also why having these proof of concepts, these short films, these things that have gained laurels, credits, award, reach, views, having this out there shows these producers that they're not taking a risk on you. You're not a risk. You're somebody that they can work with safely and recoup all the money that they're going to shell into this concept. If you can say that you've sold X amount of comic books and you've had to reprint a bunch of times, people are going to take notice. People are going to take interest. Wow, that was like profound, Anthony. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To quote the great pioneer of independent filmmaking, Lloyd Kaufman, make your own damn movie. Yeah. (laughs) Get out there and make your own damn movie. Also, when in doubt, if it's really stupid, like in a good way, then, then go and talk to Lloyd Kaufman. He'll probably throw a bunch of money at you. I think we need more of that as well. Kind of that that bonkers horror that's oh, yeah. just out there that doesn't necessarily have to be high concept or or elevated horror. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and like, and it's okay to to switch those two up as well. I mean, we need to stop talking about Steve Kostansky, but we love him. He's a hero because um, the Void and Psycho Goreman are yeah. both the polar opposite ends of this spectrum. It's exactly, and what they're I was both say. phenomenal. They both like, work yeah. so well. Exactly. It, for their own for their own reasons. But it's because each one is sent full force into the stratosphere with that vision. Have the confidence to say, this is what I want to make. This is what I want to put out. And I'm going to do it with my whole entire heart and my whole entire being. Short filmmaking can get very expensive. It's about using your budget wisely and mm-hmm. knowing what you can what you can afford to and what you can stand to lose if you're willing to put yourself out there. What is your shot worth to you? Mm-hmm. And how badly do you want it? I know some incredible filmmakers who have been cracking away at short films year after year and just sinking everything they've got into it because they believe in the projects. And they don't have backing yet, but they know that if they keep at it, someone's going to take notice. Someone will give them their shot, especially with all of these mediums opening up more and more. I feel like every other week we hear about another streaming platform or somebody else is creating a uh, studio that supports indie films or, you know, you get all these anthologies coming out where they're like, yeah, we want to team up with four or five filmmakers. Everybody make a short film and together we've got a feature. I mean, we've talked about anthologies so much on the podcast because there's something in it for everyone. If you get bored of one, the next one's coming real soon, and it keeps things moving really nicely, and it creates these these worlds. So the moral of the story is, go out there, make short films. It's worth the risk. It's worth putting yourself out there. It's worth taking your shot. It's worth having your proof of concept safe. Intellectual property and copyright don't hold as well as they used to. If you have an actual tangible thing out there, nobody can refute you at that point. At the very least, you've got to cease and desist in your pocket if somebody steals your shit. And then you can take revenge and make that a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I do love, like, legal revenge and, uh, like, the, the melodrama of the, like, monotonous. Like, just... Take a courtroom drama, like, okay, not to necessarily call it monotonous, but Belko Experiment, which is just office space on crack. I'm here for it. I love Belko. Belko's great, but it's like just like average nine to five office workers, and now you've got to fight to survive. Uh, You guys want to start wrapping up? 
if we've talked ourselves to death here, the last thing I've got to say is we don't preach short filmmaking for nothing. We do run Scared for Your Life every year. It's open for submission right now. It's on filmfreeway.com slash scared for your life. That's life with two I's. L-I-I-F-E. We've got waiver codes out floating around. We've got discount codes out there. Uh, We want to see your short films. We want your chance to shine to potentially start with us. We've got some awesome laurels and awards and opportunities. We really focus on the craft of horror filmmaking. We've got awards for practical effects. We've got awards for working with no budget. We've got awards for Scream Queens. We've got awards for Kings of Ghouls. We've got all of these opportunities to just be a part of your process of bringing your film to people's attention. And again, We've got that support of the Long Island International Film Expo and the Long Island Film and TV Foundation. That's 25 years where you've got an opportunity to some of our prizes will get you discounts into that festival for the next year. Or our first prize winner always gets a a waiver code into the festival so that people can see your film again potentially in a grander scheme than just a horror festival. People who aren't going to the festival for horror can come out and see your film as well. We've seen some incredible things happen for some of the films that have come through Scared for Your Life and Life. It's just great to be a part of this filmmaking process and see where your story takes you and to just be another outlet for you to say, yeah, like, you know, it cost me almost nothing to enter into this festival and people saw my film, I get to move to the next film with an award under my belt, or, you know, I was one of, I think out of a couple hundred films in year one, we took 25. Uh, Year two was pandemic year, so submissions were not as high, but we showcased 16 films, I think, uh, in our, um, almost like uh, we put it together in kind of like an anthology. We did a horror hosting bit before each of them. So your films are in good hands with us, and we would love to see them and see your filmmaking journey. So again, that's filmfreeway.com slash scaredforyourlife, L-I-I-F-E. And uh, through the Hauntsville Cryptcast, you guys can use the code HVCC2021 for a discount on your submission. I'll drop all those links in the description so you don't have to type it out. Do you guys want your fear of the day? Please. Your fear of the day is catagelophobia. Jellico cats and jellico. And in other news, Jellico. we've had to remove Doza from the podcast, so uh, we're looking for a replacement. <laughs> Can you say the fear again, please? It's jellico cataphobia. It's catagelophobia. Okay, so um. it is the fear of jellico cats. You are removed. You can have the podcast, and I'll leave. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Somebody else go, because I'll do this bit forever. Country of origin? I don't know. You guys always do this to me. Can you use it in a by now? Is it fear of making a bad movie? It's not not fear of making a bad movie. (gasps) Oh, I'm close. Is it fear of failing? It's not not the fear of failure. It's what comes with those things. The fear of judgment? Yes. It is the fear of public ridicule. Mm. which I understand gets to a lot of first-time filmmakers and emerging filmmakers. You're worried about what people are going to say and think about your film. But there's always a home for these things. And the at the very least, you've got a finished product under your belt, and all you can do is improve from here. So get rid of your catagelophobia and go out there and make your movie. 
That's also the feeling I get when I have to cross the street and there's a lot of cars at the light and I'm like, oh, they're judging the way I walk. (laughs) I get that! (laughs) You're walking like Vince McMahon. Just, oh man, is this normal? (laughs) Perhaps if I walk like this. (laughs) I have no catagelophobia. I will be a goblin everywhere at any time. (laughs) Let's all aspire to be (laughs) catagelophobia-less. Catagelophilic! In fact, ridicule me. I welcome it. (laughs) (laughs) That really is you, man. Let's get the hell out of here. (laughs) We can't. We still have to give them recommendations. Oh, fun. (laughs) (laughs) Do they have to be sure? People don't come here to listen to our hot takes. They just want to know what movies are good. Yeah, they skipped to the last three minutes when we were fucking losing our minds. I genuinely do that sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, they don't got to be shorts. They just got to be good. Mine is a short. It's taken, like, all of my strength not to talk about it already. Because, one, it's an animation. So, I randomly stumbled upon this short film. I found it on YouTube, but it it seems like a lot of people know about it. It's called Lenoria, and it's about 12 minutes, and it's a short animation made by Carlos Baena, who actually works at Pixar now. It's definitely that style of animation. So, you're just like, oh, this is cute. But it's this insanely intense but beautiful like short monster story it basically just centers around this child's feeling of grief coming out in the form of monsters and it's like it's giving me goosebumps talking about it it's just so beautiful i I don't know i don't know how to describe it it's just beautiful it's the sort of thing that if del toro made a pixar movie and condensed it to 12 minutes, like, that's how I feel it would come across. So I very much recommend that. I found it on YouTube, so hopefully everyone can find it on there. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it now, and a lot of these are reaction videos of people reacting to it, so you know it's I good. saw one video where it was, like, uh, people trying not to cry watching it, and I, I did cry a little bit, but I'm very sensitive to these things. Um, but it wasn't in... <laughs> And that this is also bringing back to the trauma part. It was so beautifully done on the topic of grief that it, it's not triggering. It's just like a beautiful, like, kind of makes you feel like you're supported. So it's relatable, I feel. Um, and I think that's why it was, was emotional. But it's beautiful. It makes you feel good afterwards rather than being, like, all sad. Has everyone got their heads down because they're looking it up now? Yeah. I thought so. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Holy shit. I think you'll all love it. Looks him. awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. That's La Noria. Yeah. Who's next? I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, everybody's sad now. (laughs) No, it was beautiful. It it really looks gorgeous. I can't wait to get into it. I'm actually, I'm going to recommend one of our films from the festival last year, because I haven't talked about it on the podcast, and I don't know why, Uh, but I fucking loved it. Uh, It's called Hangman. Uh, I say this a lot, but it's one of those movies that, like, I wish I had made. Because uh, I, I love the score. I, I love the, the atmosphere, the direction. And I just have a lot of fun watching this movie. It straddles the line between comedy and horror. And it, sometimes it leans in one direction or the other. And that, I think, is masterfully done. Uh, and it's all on YouTube. And I, I think it's a really fun watch. I'm going to watch it, actually, uh, again, right after I watch Lenoria to bring myself back up. <laughs> So in terms of short films, I do, obviously, I want to recommend everybody go check out Crypt TV, especially if you're a filmmaker or even if you just have ideas, 
Check out their submission form for proof of concept. Crypt TV is fantastic if you're just looking to sit down and enjoy some short horror films from time to time with really good quality. Also, there's Alter, which is on YouTube. They just showcase incredible short horror films. I haven't found a submission link for them, but they do have a contact on their Facebook page. And some of the films on there are just chilling. Short proof of concept kind of things. That's Alter, A-L-T-E-R, and they're just on YouTube for anybody to go and check out any of the films that they've got. But I do want to recommend a full-fledged feature film. Uh, it's on Shutter right now. It's called Caveat. And again, this is because you if you've been listening for a while, you know I love slow burns. I love atmospheric horror. This movie does not disappoint. It is less than an hour and a half. It's fully gripping has this incredible gothic atmosphere to it that is just like, again, borders that uncanny idea where you can't fully believe that this is taking place in our world, but it is. And slowly the pieces of the story come together and they're just, there's some really good lingering, atmospheric, second guessing, that whole fear of, is this a threat to me? Levels of dread that come out throughout this 80 something minute runtime. Uh, so that's caveat, and that is on Shutter. But the filmmaker is also a filmmaker, uh, Damien McCarthy. Damien McCarthy uh, has quite a few short films under their belt, and uh, this, I think, is Damien's first feature. And for a first feature, this was phenomenal. All right, so I'm going to steal one of Doze's favorites. He Uh-oh. didn't bring it up during the episode. I'm surprised. But for my suggestion, I'm going to suggest you go and watch Cargo. The short. Oh my god! How did we not talk about Cargo? Because <laughs> I we I actually uh, recommended it once. We talked oh, no. about Cargo in about five of our episodes. I think okay. that's why we didn't talk about Cargo. Cargo and The Void are two of those movies where we're like, we've talked about them so much, we need to make sure that we don't all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those where it's like, uh, it started as a short film written and directed by a woman. I uh, talked about it on that episode. Oh, Freeman. we talked yeah. about it in Zombies, in Woman in Horror. Mm-hmm. Okay, go. Yeah. Right. It's okay, because John's talking about it now, so that's fine. Yes, John, go! So now it's my turn to talk about Cargo. <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. It's it's fantastic. It's one of those that you watch. It's gonna, it's gonna pull at your heartstrings. I would say, arguably, the short hits harder than the feature. I loved loved the feature. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. But going back to saying, okay, this short here gives me the full story and it hits me with all the different ranges of emotion right within its tight runtime. I I love that. And I remember first seeing that and then when the feature was announced, I was excited because of how much I loved the short. Yeah, Doza, we we reined you in so that you didn't talk about it too much this episode. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad I finally got my chance to talk about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, we, we did the full, the full circuit. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Doza. I'm Anna. And I'm John. And I've been a guest this episode. And it's been really exciting to be here because these guys are my festival buddies. You can find me over on my personal page at John Von Frankenstein on Instagram, over at Moonlight Mad Reviews for horror. And I promise I'll get some reviews up soon. (laughs) Things have just been crazy. (laughs) And periodically, you'll even hear my voice on the Moonlight Madness radio podcast available over at Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I hope you find some movies worth reviewing soon, John. (laughs) (laughs) There's some stuff coming. Happy hauntings. We'll see you in hell.